Hey there everyone, can you believe the holidays are just around the corner? And you know what that means, it's time to start thinking about treating those special people in your life. Well we have the perfect gifts for you. Imagine that cold winter night when you want a warm cup of hot cocoa, but you need a special mug, well we got you covered. Head on over to our Instagram account and click the link in our bio to visit our official podcast shop. From mugs to hoodies, we are sure your loved ones will want it all. Talking about gifts, here's the latest episode. Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Colazar. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. As the Premier League season marches on, we find ourselves at a crucial time, the festive period. It's that time of year we all love with games galore as teams fight it out for what could make or break their season. Now, if you've been with us from the start, you'll remember our bold predictions. And today, we will look back at what might have been bang on, what might have been us talking utter nonsense. From the title charge to the relegation battle, this festive period is sure to be a cracker. Will your team be given a present or will they be dealt a lump of coal? Talking about crackers, Jack, how are you, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, also a little bit concerned and worried about looking back at these predictions. I'm not uh, confident that they were they were great. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's why we make this a, an entertaining podcast. Um, we're here to to get some controversy on the show. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think some of the things that we may have said 16, 17 weeks ago were uh, completely out of the uh, the ordinary and far from the truth. But uh, We'll have to go back at it, but um, we are at, I would say, my favourite time of the year, both in terms of season and the footy. The festive period for me is by all means the best part of the season. Yeah, I agree. Best part of the year, best part of the football calendar year too. I think it's the combination of groups of people getting together for the festive period, plus a ton of football being played. So then there's just a lot of discussion about football and you know, did you watch the game last night? That kind of thing. It's funny because I was looking back and obviously last year it was the the World Cup. Um, and now obviously it's the, the return of the Premier League around this time. And there's games on every single day from Premier League to Championship and then all around Europe. So, yeah, it's one of those just sitting down and watching games. And like you said, seeing your mates and seeing family is definitely... Uh, for me, the best time of the year and a busy time as well, especially uh, for coaches and players out there as well. But I'm looking forward to it. And I'm also looking forward to our uh, our predictions going forwards too, uh, as we might have to make a few corrections, I would say, based on our first predictions. No going back, you got to believe. Not even halfway yet, things can change. Yeah, I'm a United fan. I've stopped believing a long time ago. Um, but beer of choice, I've gone for a, uh, a Newcastle Brown Ale this week. Uh, sticking to the roots of the UK, I do like me a Nuki Brown. Um, this is a drink that I would only really have in the winter as well. Just it's a, a strong ale, dark brown. Just love it in the winter time. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be drinking that in the uh, in the summer. But I uh, I'm not on the beer today. I'm a bit under the weather, and it's a cold winter night here in Pennsylvania. So I've got me I've got myself a cup of Yorkshire tea, 
drinking it, of course, outside of my Pittsburgh Pittside perspective tea mug available on the store for all you guys too. I was going to say, it is uh, Christmas coming up and uh, anyone looking for a stocking stuffer, none other better than a, uh, a Pitch Eye Perspective uh, mug. So, uh, yeah, that can be found on our, our social media channels if you would like to buy one. Uh, I think they're about $49 for a coffee mug, but it's to support the podcast, so buy one. That's uh, but, yeah, so I think we uh, we kind of start, well, before we start, actually, We've got the question. You gave a very tough question last week um, that I needed Brody's help with. I'm not sure if this week is easy or hard, but uh, we'll fire it with it and uh, see how you get on. So, there are four players who have won the Premier League Player of the Season twice. Who are they? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a bunch of names, probably more than four names, come to mind straight away. Mostly attackers and a couple of defenders as well. So I'm going to have to try and... I think I've got about... Straight away, I've got six or eight names come straight to mind. Like I say, one or two defenders, five or six strikers. So I'm going to have to whittle that down to four. I thought there would actually be more than that, four people to win it more than once. And I also thought there would be more people out there that have won it more than twice. But hearing that it was only only ever done twice is... uh... That was uh, interesting to me. Yeah, well, I would say if Haaland stays in the Premier League long enough and keeps banging in the goals, maybe he'll be the first one to to win it three times because goals matter. Talking about Haaland, he needs to be facing at least a one-game suspension. Yeah, I mean, as as bad as the mistake was by the referee, it, it wasn't a good look for him, was it? No, I mean, you look at the the Van Dyke one, and obviously we're not privy to what's actually been said towards the referee, but Van Dyke, I think, got fined a hefty sum, plus that one-game suspension for that penalty shout a few uh, a few weeks ago. And then you look at Haaland absolutely raging in the referee's face. Like, I don't see why he hasn't been given any type of punishment. Maybe he will. Maybe it just takes a little bit of time, but... Yeah, the referees are having a tough time of it right now. They don't seem to be able to catch a break or an easy weekend of games. Seems like every round of games there's a a big mistake, a big error happening that ends up being the talking point of the league, which is unfortunate too, you know, especially with all the goals that have been flying in lately and, and then what does everyone talk about too often is, is the refereeing. Yeah, it seems every week there's another topic about a referee I, I saw an article recently they're looking to bring in the idea of a sin bin into the game and I'm just like we're, we're messing so much with the game and it's now all becoming about the referees and the rules and it's like you you just lose the joy of the game yeah VAR's killing it and for, now this that's a non-start for me the sin bin thing but I do think you know the referees are making mistakes I do also think that sometimes the the head coaches managers and the players need to look at themselves sometimes when it comes to this too right it's like they're constantly trying to trick the referee, you know. So the the more VAR is being used, the harder the referee's life is because of the players and coaches, you know, are constantly trying to trick the referee, gain an advantage by uh, cheating the referee. And, you know, these same managers that want to come out and say, what was it, deserve it, saying about, I don't like 80% of the referees in the Premier League, would if he sees his player dive and try and cheat, 
and try and break the rules that way? Would he condone that? Or would he come down, you know, how would he, what would he say about that? So, yeah, if you want the refereeing to be better, try making their life a little bit easier by not constantly trying to cheat your way through the game. Yeah, I would say that a lot of managers now, I would say a lot more moaning and negative than what it kind of used to be. I know you used to have Fergie, Wenger, Benitez, that type of crew who would always be like on the referees. And yeah, Fergie would really on the referees. But I feel like every manager now is just constantly post-game interview, just moaning about referees. Like referees are the topic in every single post-game interview. And I'm just sick of it, to be honest. It's just like, I I get it that they make poor decisions at times, but I don't know. I don't know what the right way is of correcting this, whether it's a case of getting them mic'd up or whether it's a case of, I don't know, going back a little bit in time and trying to get rid of a few rules. I know the offside rule again might be changing, but everything just seems to be changing. Um, but we'll see. We'll see uh, where the future of the game goes. But in, ter- in terms of talking about changing, uh, I think I might have to change a few of my predictions from the start of the season. I'm not sure about you. Oh, I don't know if that's how it works. Are we, are we allowed to do that? It's what, our what? podcast. Do what we want. <laughs> that's the beauty of it, yeah. But I think we, uh, I think we start with the race for the top four. Um, I think this is going to be a fascinating race. I think this could be any number of teams out of six, seven, eight, maybe yeah, even maybe even eight, nine teams in the top four is going to be tough. Um, yeah, one of the great things right now is we have a free horse race for the number one spot, which is brilliant. Because um, I I hate the I hate it when it's even a two horse race. Never mind a one horse race. So I mean, right now I think City, Arsenal, and Liverpool are all in a a fair shout of saying we've got a chance here, which is good. So you're ruling out Tottenham. Uh, with their current run of form, yes. They go if they go and win tomorrow night because obviously we're filming this Wednesday night. If they go and win tomorrow night, and that puts them level on points with City. So you're saying a team that are level on points with City aren't in with a, sh- with a shout. And then we're also saying, or you're saying, Aston Villa, who are two points above City, are not in with a shout. Like, that's one big surprise for me, is how well Aston Villa are doing at the moment. Yeah, a long way to go. I, I just think, you know, experience comes into it, right? Who's been in a title race before? City's been there before. Arsenal's been there unsuccessfully, but they've been there before in recent times, is speaking. And Liverpool have been there before. I think that experience counts a lot. I think squad depth counts a lot. And I don't think Tottenham have that. I don't think Aston Villa have that as much as as well as they're doing. And I think and I really like both of those teams' managers too. Um, so I wouldn't be upset if either of those went and came first. I actually would enjoy it if Man City did not win the league. Not because I don't like them or anything like that, just because I just like it when different teams win the league year after year. You don't want to be like the Scottish League and just have Rins and Celtic just burn the league. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I mean, for me, I still stick with City being the strongest contender. I know, obviously, right now they're six points off the top and Arsenal are probably in the better form, but you can't really look past City being in that top spot. However, one win in the last five is a, a scary situation, but we all know that Man City are a team that really step it up in the second half of the season. I think it was either last year or the year before where 
then they didn't they won every single game bar and a few and yeah you're never going to rule them out of even going and smashing it by 10 point gap yeah well we both had uh predicted man city one and arsenal two and as it stands i'll i'll keep it just because i don't want to change anything unless i really have to but i am starting to lean towards arsenal i mean what do you say one win in what last five six yeah, so Man City have won one game in the last five, drawn, I think, three of them. And then obviously tonight, losing to Villa as well. That's a big one. Yeah, I didn't realise that. That's a surprising stat. But like I said, that if there's a, if there's a team that can go on a 10-match winning streak, it's Man City. And especially once the schedule gets busier and busier and you're looking at rotating the squad, picking up injuries, picking up suspensions... That's where their, you know, their strength in depth is going to really shine through. Could we see another Leicester season with Villa? Could, well, could Villa be in with a shout of one breaking into the top four and two also pushing that title? Because, like I was looking at them today, them beating City at home tonight was their fourteenth consecutive home win. That's that's a lot. Well, they're definitely in for a shout top four, and I would love it if they came first. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I think. I actually don't think they'll finish in the top four, but I would like to see it. Um, we both went City and Arsenal. I think we've then got <laughs> maybe one correct and one bad one each, right? In third and fourth, from our predictions before. So yeah. I went top four, City, Arsenal, Chelsea. Not sure what I was thinking there. And then Newcastle. I'll tell you what, Chelsea tonight looked all over the place, and they have done recently. I, I just see this being a very... Turbulent season for Chelsea. Uh, they're going to have some highs. They're going to have a lot of lows. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what you were thinking. Putting them in third spot. I know. I know. After they have talent within the team. But... There's talent there. I, I when I watch every time I watch Chelsea, Enzo Fernandez for me is one of the best players in the Premier League. I think he is such a good player, and he's probably pulling his hair out right now because I think he could play play in any team in the world. And he's a struggling Chelsea team. Yeah, I, I do think he's a good player. I honestly don't think he's he's really kicked on enough. I know he's young and I know he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders carrying that team. But there's a few times that he's kind of like gone. I think he's gone missing in a few games and he hasn't. He hasn't taken on the, the brave role of being the leader at Chelsea and pushed them on. Um, but... No doubt he's got the talent there. And I mean, you look at their midfield too of Caicedo and, and him. It Any team in the world would cry out for them to as two holder midfield players. Uh, they've got it all. They can defend their box to box. They can move the ball around. They can get on the end of it as well. But I just think with Chelsea, it's going to be a case of it's a, it's a long term, it's a long term thing that is going to take time. And the question is, do Chelsea fans have patience with, with Poch? Well, I, I think they will. I think there's a big difference between Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez, and then a couple of their other younger players. And and I would also put in uh, the uh, the midfielder from Man City. Cole uh, Palmer. Paul, yeah, Cole Palmer. I think he's he's been good since he went there too. Um, but Mudrick, every time I see him, I think he's struggling big time. I think it's going to be a big shift for him to somehow turn it on. I think that's a big ask from what from where he is right now. And the other one is is Jackson up front. I really thought he was going to be 
you know, a big... I, mean, I thought he was going to make a big impact and score a lot of goals. I know the other week he scored a hat-trick of tappings, but apart from that, he's not been the player that I thought he was going to be. So you had Chelsea in at third spot. If you were allowed a, a correction, where are you thinking Chelsea's finishing then? Uh, are they even making a European spot? No, I think they, they could be dropping all the way down to 10, 11. Nine. I th- I do think at some point they'll put a run of, run of run of good victories together. I think they'll come good at some point. But yeah, I would be dropping dropping them out and putting Liverpool obviously who I did six. Um, I would be throwing them back up there. Uh, yeah, so you obviously put a put Chelsea in there, which is uh, dramatic. But I've also I can't really speak too much because I put United in there, and we are although we had a good performance against Chelsea today, we are dog awful like I just go back to that Newcastle game and I think Gary Neville summed it up perfectly when he said like he doesn't want to watch United he doesn't want to commentate on their games he doesn't want to go to the games yes as a fan you're always going to go but like it's, it's just so hard to watch and even today we want to goal up and I'm like I think I spoke to Lewis and I said like we ain't winning this game. Like, look at the games that we've had in the in the last few weeks where we've started well in fifteen minutes, and then we just dropped off. So, I, I will say this for Man United. I will give them one thing, which is any team who is missing their starting two centre backs, Martinez and Varane, and arguably their starting three central midfielders in Casemiro, Mount, and Eriksson, depending on where you want to play Bruno Fernandez. Anyone who's missing, you know, five core central players like that is gonna you know it's gonna make an impact right yeah no i i agree with that and that is you being very empathetic towards united but even the players that have replaced those key players just haven't stepped it up um and i don't want this to turn around turn to be a, a man united episode but it's a case of i d- they could end up in that fourth spot like, I'm not ruling that out, but they could also end up in ninth, 10th spot. Like, I just think they are going to be the the wild child of the group. I think you've had a couple of glimpses of, like, just something to hold on to in terms of a positive. One with Garnacho, I think he's coming through really nicely, showing his his ability. And then re- more recently, after his injuries, Kobe Menu. I think there you've got two good young players coming through the youth system that, you know, you can see the potential, you can see the ability. So in a time where a lot of United fans are negative, despite the form books not looking terrible, I know they've had a friendly run of fixtures lately, um, there's a couple of little uh, bits of hope and, and positivity to hold on to there, I think, with those two players. Yeah, and you'd, I would also, I'm just looking at the table now, we're three points behind City, and yet Man United are supposed to be this in disarray and a shambles of a club, but we're only three points off probably the best team in the world so again I go back to my point this could be anywhere in the season but I just think a few like little bits like Ten Hag needs to turn a few of those losses back into a draw because we're the only team in the Premier League that hasn't drawn any game we've either won or lost and like you look at a Newcastle game you go up to St James's Park you just got to grind out performance and we never did that um, so like I had United finishing third I think that was me with my red hat on I honestly, I I don't know where to put Man United finishing at the end of the season. 
Well, I think during that episode, I said the thing about United that stopped me putting them in the top four is I think on their day they could beat anyone, but they could also be beaten by anyone. There's no consistency there, and that's why it's going to be hard for them to be top four for me. I still wouldn't put them in there. Top six, I mean, top seven. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had Liverpool finishing the top four, and I'm very confident of that. I think I think Klopp's brought in some smart players this year. Um, and I would say they have probably, if not the best front three in the Premier League. I think, yeah, you've obviously got Haaland, but I think in terms of a front three of, I don't know, Salah, Nunez and Jota or Diaz, Gakpo, that, you could rotate that front three. And I think they're one of the most dangerous front three. And they have that never give up attitude. You look at the Fulham game at the weekend, losing 3-2, yeah, 3-2 in the 8th minute and winning the game 4-3. Like, that is Liverpool. Like, they will always go to the bitter end. So, for me, they're in my top four, but I just don't know what spot. Yeah, I think they've gone under the radar a little bit as well. Um, but that that's just a sign of a really competitive, strong team that has a chance to win the league, right? Think about the Man United team that dominated the league titles in Fergie time, always getting that goal to just to get the three points. And Liverpool are doing that. Arsenal have done it a number of times now where they've had injury time winning goals as well. So, that you know, they make such a big difference, those, those last-minute goals that get you the extra points. And the credit I will give to Liverpool, they always show up, I think, in the big games. So when they go and play the likes of City and Arsenal, like those title contenders, I think they're always showing up. So I think I wouldn't rule Liverpool out of potentially winning this league. Yeah, I hope it goes down the wire to, to the wire. I think it's going to be a good, very exciting title running. So what would your top four be now if you had to pick your top four? Well, it's funny you say that because like when I was looking at our predictions, we both had Spurs not even in our top seven. And for me, I would re- for, yeah, for me I would replace United with Spurs. So it would be for me. City probably winning it, Arsenal, Liverpool, then Spurs. Spurs pipping it in fourth place. Um, I think I don't think anyone gave the credit to to Ange when he came in, coming from the Scottish League of being a a substandard league, let's say, and coming into the the Premier League. No one, I don't think, gave him the credit and kind of undermined him a little bit. And look, I think he's played some unbelievable stuff. I think there's been times he's been a little bit naive, like that game against Chelsea, down a player and he's staying on the halfway line for his, uh, yeah. in terms of his block. But I think Tottenham and the way they play, I, I love watching them play. I think it's so entertaining. Yeah, I would go City 1, still. Arsenal 2, Liverpool 3. Yeah, that false spot's a tough one. Villa could be in with a shout. Honestly, I think, like you look at Unai Emery, I think he is one of the best managers in the Premier League. He's so smart and he's been in some very high-pressure situations. You look at like Sevilla and the back-to-back European European titles. He's just beaten City tonight. And according to her, my friend's group chat, one of them was watching it, was saying that Villa batted City. Yeah, so I was watching the Chelsea United game I was look, kept looking at the stats from the City match every time I saw it nil nil, and like the, you know, Villa were the team having the shots. The possession was pretty close to fifty fifty for the most of the game. I think it's um, the most most shots conceded in in the first half. City have conceded, and Villa had on it. So obviously they they were banging on the door. Yeah, um, so maybe Villa takes the fourth spot. 
we'll see. Yeah, I think one team that I know you had them in seventh place with Brighton that I, I thought maybe in like maybe the start of the season would be in a higher spot would be Brighton, but I feel like Brighton have kind of dropped off a little bit. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be putting them in the shout of like a Champions League space, maybe a Europa League space. Yeah, maybe it's the style of style of play. You know, it's one of those where when it comes off, it looks great and it's really entertaining to watch. But yeah, you can. I still think if you're a Brighton fan, you've got to be happy sitting in eighth spot. You know, when you're looking at recent history. So then, a question for you. Then, obviously, we've we've just spoken about our top four there, and it hasn't included Newcastle, which you had Newcastle in that fourth spot. Yeah. Do you think their their injuries and their fixture list and the the congestion from playing in multiple competitions is going to kill them? Uh, yeah, that and also losing Tenali to the to the betting scandal is a big big blow. That was probably their you know big signing, really their signature signing. So. Um... That's definitely a blur. I think Newcastle will be there thereabouts. I think they've got something going on there. I think there's like it's a very strong togetherness, the way they play, the way they compete. I think the fourth spot will come down to Villa, Tottenham and Newcastle. So you're saying then... Like by, by at the same time, I think one of those will drop off massively and finish yeah. seventh eighth. I think it all determines for Newcastle on, on what European competition they find themselves in. Um, Champions League, Europa League, or complete. If they completely drop out of it, I think they they're in for a strong shout of getting back in the Champions League. But if I'm a Newcastle fan and I'm making it into the Europa League, I'm putting them in with a shout of winning it. Um, but then I look at Newcastle's next six fixtures: Everton, Tottenham, Fulham, Luton, Forest, Liverpool. I see them picking up a fair few points in that, as long as they can bring in a few players um, from the injury list. Yeah, you would expect at least four wins there. Yeah, and you like you you even talk about Tottenham and their injury list. I think them and Newcastle are probably one of the two worst for their injuries. Um, it's hard. It's, yeah, it's hard to quantify it, right? Because it's hard to say, like you know, who's a bigger miss. I I always I still go back to Man United missing your best two centre backs, missing three out your best four centre midfielders. I think that's. That's got to be up there with the biggest hit of injuries, whether you want to count how many injuries or how long they're out. You know, your two starting centre-backs is your rock. Three out of your best four centre-midfielders. You have to build a whole new team, basically. Yeah, I think we're I think we're pretty solid on, say, the top four, but I think that fifth to eighth spot could be a complete lottery. Um, but what I would say is, for me, out of, say, that, that top eight, the one team to really watch out for... Is going to be Villa. Um, I think they're in for a shout of upsetting the apple cart. I, I reckon we now flip it to go down to the bottom end. Um, and this this was one that we actually agreed on on the same three teams going down. But are you changing your mind here? I mean, I guess the one to change on my side. Sheffield United finishing bottom in 20th position. I'm going to stay with that one. A goal difference of minus 30 goals after 15 games, by the way. They are shocking, aren't they? Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later. The, the first and only team so far to sack their manager. Well, hold that one close because that I'm going to give you some credit in a bit. Um, ooh, I have to uh, make sure I save that, that clip. Um Burn, uh, who else did I have? So I had Sheffield rock bottom. I had Luton in 19th. 
Forest in 18th. So I had Burnley who currently second bottom surviving. They're not looking great at all. Everton are down there in 18th. Obviously had the minus 10 points. Um, I think Everton will get out of there. And I think it's, you know, it's sad to say, but I think Luton will drop back down into the bottom three. So if anything, I guess I'm switching Burnley with Forest. Um, but maybe it's too soon to make that change. Maybe I'll stick with what I said initially and have Sheffield United, Luton Town and Forest still as the bottom three. Yeah, I mean, for me, Sheffield United are, you might as well relegate them now. I'm sorry, Sheffield United fans, but conceding 41 goals in 15 games, as you said, Jack, is diabolical. Like, that is absolutely shocking. And obviously, we'll speak about the sacking, but... I think, I think Luton, you, also, me, you also asked me if Sheffield United would get 15 points. Was that right? Was it 15 Yeah, yeah because I think that was the lowest from Derby. And I said they would, but it's not looking good. They're on five so far. So if, if they replicated the same form of what they've just had, you're going to be looking at two wins, four draws. So what's that? Ten points. You might yeah, get it's pretty, they're pretty much on track to get like 11 or 12 points. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's harsh, but I think I think you've got the recruitment to blame for that. Like they never brought players in in the summer. But the one for me that I've kind of got kind of fond of is is Luton. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Like I watched their game the other day against Arsenal, and obviously Arsenal got that ninety seventh minute winner. But they are. They're like a they're like a little Jack Russell or a Yorkshire Terrier, like they're, they're the little nippers scrapping at it. Um, I think they will fight tooth and nail to the end to stay in this league. And part of me kind of hopes they do stay in it, just because of kind of what that club is and where they've come from. Obviously, coming from the conference, working their way all the way back up from the heyday back in the day of when they were in the top division. Um, so part of me does wish they will stay up. Do I see it happening? No. Do I want them to? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I agree. If there's if there's one team in that bottom group of, you know, 12 down, if you like, who I want to stay up, it's Lewin. Yeah, sure. and, and I think I think they'll be replaced. I know I had Forrest in there, but I think they're going to be replaced by Burnley. Um, as much as last season, Burnley played some great stuff under company in the championship. I think companies being naive to think that he can do the same in the Premier League. Yeah, that's fair. I think a lot of people expected Burnley to to be okay, to avoid relegation just because of how good they were in the Championship. Um, And uh, yeah, should company change? If he should, why is he not? Is he looking after his own reputation as a manager in terms of style of play more so than he's looking at how he can start picking up some points? Maybe that's a little bit unfair, I'm not sure. Um, But it's not looking great right now to catch Forrest. They'd have the six points behind Forrest currently. Can they make that up? Uh, it's going to be a, a, a tough, tough job, but it only takes a little run of games to, to get there. If there was a, let's say, a, a lesser known manager, let's say a Pardew, an Allardyce, somebody like that in charge of Burnley right now, and they had the same results and stats, they would have been sacked. But I think because it's company, and there's this aura around him that he might be the next best thing. That's biding him a little bit more time. 
Yeah, and I don't know what the right answer is. Should he change or should he stick to what he believes in? Um, tough, tough to say, I think. But if he doesn't start working soon, then he might not have that decision to make. They might take it out of his hands. Yeah, and so the next statement I'm going to make, I'm going to actually retract a comment from the first uh, first episode where I called Everton naughty school uh, school kids. I feel a little bit sorry for them. Like getting that 10 point deduction. Um, I was reading an article and obviously the, the majority of that money loss has come through them trying to build a new stadium. And obviously trying to build a new stadium comes with obviously a lot of cost, but then also a lot of perks for the local community. Obviously, maybe potentially more jobs, uh, a better place to go visit. You bring more people to the town. So I'm like, yes, they've lost money building a stadium. But you look at so many teams, not just in the Premier League, but around the world who have lost money. And you look at the charges Man City have had against them and nothing's been done. And I think you made a good point the other week where you said Portsmouth went into administration and got less of a punishment. So I think they have been dealt a tough card. So part of me would like them to to see them stay up, really. Yeah, um, I agree with what you're saying about the stadium part. The reason why I think still they were a bit like naughty, uh, naughty school children was, I from what I believe is they the Premier League the whole time were communicating with them saying like, hey, watch it, you're getting really close to this, and then they were still going out and spending money on players, who then played a part in them avoiding relegation last year. So if you were one of the teams that were relegated last year, you're looking at it now going, well, it's a bit too late. We got relegated. They broke the rules to bring in players that have helped them stay up and we're the ones that got punished and got relegated because of it. So I I think the punishment maybe is a little bit harsh. I think they'll, they'll survive anyway. I think we said before, if there's a year that you want a points deduction, it's this year because there's some weak teams there that you can you can still survive even with the point deduction. So and they've got the perfect manager in charge, I think, and Sean Dice to, to do it. Yeah, it's just it's just whether or not the Evertonians are going to give Dice the the confidence and give him the backing because I feel like Everton fans feel like they should be playing a certain style and they go back to obviously the Moyes time of battling for Europe. But if if Everton had any other manager in and that manager got sacked, who would you want helping you to get out? And it would be Sean Dice, right? So I think they're in a good position. Well. Hopefully they'll be in a good position. They'll they'll creep them way out. But I think the team that might potentially drop in is another one similar to Burnley who try and play attractive stuff, but don't all often quite do it. And that's Bournemouth. Um, I think Bournemouth have toyed with death in the last couple of seasons, um, and they could find themselves in a uh, in a battle for the the bottom three. Yeah, but I think in fairness, the Bournemouth is one of those where. Every year they're in the Premier League, they're punching above their weight in the sense of the financial side of things. And every year they've every if they've finished the season one point off relegation, to me, for that club it's a success. I'm sure their fans will say like they need to progress year after year and somehow work their way up, but there's a point where there's a sense of realism has to come into it, and I think that's the case with Everton too. Like what gives you the right to compete against some of these other clubs, what, what you know, you have the right to compete, but what? Why do they think that they are? They they're above being relegated, or they're above some of these other clubs that have worked their way into the fold just because they've been there longer. Um, I think Bournemouth will be fine. I think they've got some good, talented players. I think 
they play in a stylish way, but not to the naive extent that Burnley do. So at the start of the season, you had Forest, Luton, and Sheffield United going down. I had exactly the same, just obviously in a different order. Stick or twist? I'll stick for now. Yeah, I'll stick. My only change, I think, would be Luton for Burnley. I think Luton have a, a fairy tale story about them, and they'll they'll stay out. Um, so we're but... both saying we're both saying Forest. Even though there's six points above the relegation zone currently, we're still saying they'll go down. Yeah, I think that'll be the next manager to get sacked. Although I think Steve Cooper's a fantastic manager. Um, just based on like what I've heard about him from other people and just like looking at what he's kind of about. And he, his interviews are so honest and transparent. I love that from him. It's very similar to Postacoglu in terms of how transparent he is with his interviews. So I would like him obviously to keep his job, but supposedly the owner who's the the ex-Olympiakos guy who would get rid of a manager more than he would change his underwear. So, I don't know. I think Forrest are definitely in a precarious spot. And yeah, that's a big was, word for me. Yeah, I'm surprised with that one. But um, if I was being realistic, I would probably say that Forrest will now survive, but I'm just hesitant to make changes. I'd like to... I'm going to try and stick with my predictions as much as possible without being ridiculous. So then talking about, obviously, Cooper potentially on the verge of getting sacked, this is where I'm going to give you some credit. So going back 17 weeks ago, Jack Collazar said there would be less sackings in this season. And you made a prediction that I don't think is far off that there would be no sackings before January 1st. And we've just had our first one. It's December fourth or fifth it happened with obviously Heckenbottom being let go by Sheffield United. So I'm gonna take my hat off to you that you, you got that one pretty spot on. Yeah, and it's annoying because I think if there's a club that doesn't have the right in terms of the board members to sack a manager, it's Sheffield United. They've done nothing to support him. They've kind of hung him out to dry and let him take the blame and the next person's gonna come in and well, I guess good luck to him. Is it Chris Wilder that's coming in? Yeah, so how does that one work out? That you've let go of Chris Wilder, you've bring in Heckenbottom, now you're going back to Chris Wilder. I just, I just don't get what they're trying to achieve. It's almost like they just want to show the fans that they're still trying or something. I don't know, but yeah, it's unfortunate for him. I'm sure even with the card stacked against him, he was hopeful that he could do more. But um, it's a tough, tough league to play, especially when you have. Championship level players, yeah. Do they, do they have one eye on going down? And is Chris Wilder the best man to get him back up? He, he does very well in the championship, so maybe that's a a case that they've strung out. But you actually said, you do you remember who you said would be the the first manager sacked? I think I went David Moyes. And look how well West Ham are doing. I well, was... they were, they were, but they they did definitely have a. I think Jake Tiller from the one episode kind of put the mockers on him when he was all of a sudden giving shouts of Champions League football next year and then they went on a string of bad performances and, and have been plummeting their way down the table. They, I mean, you say they've been plummeting down the table. They're in ninth spot, so they're, they're not doing too bad, but you are right in terms of they have been very wishy-wash in terms of their, their form, but if I'm West Ham, I'm not sacking David Moyes unless, no. unless we're in a very dangerous position. He's brought West Ham more success than any other manager has done there in a very long time. Well, um, 
And I, I just don't made, get. I will just say when I made that prediction, I wasn't saying it in the sense of I would sack Moyes. I was saying it in the sense of West Ham and some of the errors when it comes to managers they've made in the past. I think are very quick to pull the trigger and fire managers they shouldn't fire. Backtracking and covering your ass, I see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just don't get, like you said, I just don't get some West Ham fans just hating on David Moyes. Like a lot of these teams that I would say are in that middle tier bracket, your West Ham's, your your Fulham's, your Palace, your Wolves, they all cry out for, oh, we want attractive footy. We want it to be entertaining at the weekend. Well, all right, look at the teams that have tried that and they've ended up potentially being relegated. Whereas you look at West Ham, yeah, they might not play the best stuff every week, but David Moyes is going to guarantee you're in the Premier League every year. Because a team like West Ham, with the stadium they have, if they go and get relegated, they could turn into one of these, like a Leeds United, that don't get themselves back up because of a financial issue. So keep David Moyes in the job, push on, they do a great job in Europe, and just keep continuing to back him. Yeah, everybody wants to kind of take the next step and progress year after year and it's hard because everyone's trying to do it, right? Yeah. So I think we uh, we kind of looked to go towards the end and look at who we thought would be our player of the year. Um, I think you're closer to hitting it here than I am. I said uh, Isaac at Newcastle, who I think has been okay, but I just think he hasn't been as consistent as I thought he would have been. And you obviously went for, for Saka at Arsenal, who... I I just love watching him play. Just the way he's on the ball and he glides. He's so he's so elegant on the ball. Yeah, he's. I think they're both top players. I think Saka's been more consistent and had some bigger moments. They, the one thing that Saka has, and you're kind of the other one who was who really had it was Iron Robin, where sometimes you kind of know what he wants to do and you still can't stop him when he's kind of cutting inside and that kind of thing. He has that ability to go inside, outside, a knack for just being in the right spot to score goals, to score great goals from outside the box. Really good player, obviously great for England as well. So, will you know, do I think there was a sense of, like, he's got a chance of winning player of the year. And I also don't want it to be the same people it always is. Um, yeah, you think about favourites normally, De Bruyne, Haaland. De Bruyne with his injury, he's pretty much out of it. Haaland, if he scores enough goals, will probably win it. Uh, but Saka's, you know, he's not far off. Yeah, the one player that I would give a lot of credit to, especially in recent weeks, is actually Isaac's teammate and uh, Anthony Gordon. Um, I've really enjoyed watching Anthony Gordon play, and I think he's really coming into his own up in uh, up in Tyneside. Um, I think he could be in for a shout for the, the Euro 2024 team. Yeah, I don't think he's got a sniff of player of the year, but in terms of breakout players, I think he's definitely taken another step forward in improving his ability for sure. I was a bit, I had a bit of a question mark against him, to be honest. I was a bit surprised Newcastle went for him. But um, yeah, he's been very good, especially lately. Yeah, and the other player that I would give credit to as well, and I think is developing into a top, top strike, and it might be having, again, one eye on the Euros next year, is Ollie Watkins at Villa. Um, I think he's been very dangerous and he looks so confident at the moment. Yeah, another good player. Um, whether I guess when the problem with England as well for the strikers is it's just competing for a backup spot behind Kane, aren't you really? You are, but if you're in that, that backup spot and he goes and does his ankle or whatever it yeah. is, 
you got to be ready for it. And you look at the strikers, I would say every backup striker to Harry Kane is very similar in terms of their stature. So it's a case of whichever one of those is in the best form is going to go. Yeah, I think you had breakout player was uh, Yael Pedro. He's been very hit and miss. There's been games that he's been absolutely on fire and there's been games that he's gone missing. I think he started the season well. Um, But yeah, no, if if I have the chance, I would actually switch Yael Pedro for actually another Brighton player. Well, it's between two, actually. My first choice would be Evan Ferguson, the Irish striker. I think he looks he looks like a player and he I think he's going to be on the list of a lot of top teams across Europe trying to snap him up. And then the second one and I'm going to give this guy credit for leaving Man City is Cole Palmer. Mm. You spoke earlier about Enzo carrying Chelsea. I actually think Cole Palmer's done a very good job there and carried that team through a few wins. Um and it takes a lot of guts to leave a team like City when he probably would have got a fair share of games, especially with Riyad Mahrez leaving. Um, to go to Chelsea, which is a, a project team, fair play to him. Yeah, Cole Palmer's been very good and obviously got, got into the England team because of his form too. So some exciting talent for, for in terms of the young English players with Cole Palmer, with Gordon, like you mentioned before. So um, lots of look forward there for the England fans. Uh, breakout player, yeah, tough one. Tough one. I think Yao Pedro has been a little bit disappointing. I saw him pre-season playing. I thought he was brilliant. Brighton from then, like you said, Ferguson, another good young attacking player. Then they brought Ansu Fati in, who obviously a great young attacking player, good talent. Um, so I think for Yao Pedro, like kind of like what you said, he's got to find a consistency. That also means a consistent, consistency in selection as well um, to give him the chance to be consistent. Yeah, so I think... I think when we look back at week one of our predictions, I don't think we were too far off the boil. Um, I think we there were a few shouts that were definitely uh, dubious. You look at your Chelsea shout, my United shout, not having Spurs in the top seven. But I think we're we're not far off. And I was just having a look, actually. At... Wait, wait you, you're trying to get away with one here. You had the manager of the year award going to... Well, no, 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 no. I didn't have the manager of the year award. I had... No, you hang on, let's backtrack here. It wasn't a manager of the year award. It was a case of which manager do we think will have a great season? Um, and I said Pep Guardiola. You actually said Vincent Company. No, I'm pretty sure I said Pep Guardiola. Uh, I've got an image of your notes that in your handwriting that says Vincent Company. Well, uh, yeah, you might be right. At with least that he one. wasn't the first manager to be sacked anyway. But yeah, he's yeah, not so I'll get a little bit of credit so there. I had, I, I had Deserbi, who's yeah. I'm I'm annoyed with his comments lately about the you know I dislike eighty percent of the referees or whatever stupid comment he said because he's I want to like him because I think he's doing a good job um, and obviously it benefited from the Graham Potter before him and what the work he'd done with players but I thought he was doing really well playing a great style of football right and doing okay and then yeah stupid comments like that make it very hard to like him. Yeah, I know. I think you're right there. Like, he definitely plays one of the best styles within the game, and they're so brave on the ball. But to be in that elite manager status, you've got to have it all. Um, and you've also one of those things is a bit of class about you. You've got to have a little bit of class, even you know when you're losing your head, or even you know when you look at Klopp or Pep Guardiola, they have that little bit of aura around them. 
De Zerbe doesn't have that when he's saying things like, you know, as much as Klopp and Pep go out, go past the line and say some silly stuff about the referees, and I think Klopp probably really regrets talking about the rematch thing. I don't think they would have said that comment, which is kind of personal about disliking the referees or 80% of the referees disliking them. Yeah, no, I think I still think Deserby will be a very good manager this year and in years to come. But I think my shout of Vincent Company was definitely a wild one and a stretch at the start of the year. Maybe that was me having having a look at them in the championship and giving them a bit of hope that they can replicate that form. But I mean, we'll see. I I, I still which, think company... which managers do you, which managers do you think are making a good impression who's overachieving I think the biggest overachiever has got to be Gary O'Neill at Wolves I think him coming in having no pre-season and almost stabilizing that club and they've had some good results as well and I think people look at Gary O'Neill as going where's Gary O'Neill he's just an ex-player that's come in and you, whereas, like you look at like your Deserbies and even your Marco Silvers at Fulham, and they have this name about them and this style about them. But Gary O'Neill's getting on with his job, and uh, I think Wolves fan are surprised about what they've got there in a the manager. Yeah, well, is that a little bit like was it Sam Allardyce once who was talking about it? You know, if it was called Gary O'Neillio, would he have a better <laughs> reputation? Because it wasn't English, but. Um... No, he's obviously doing great. And I think Wolves have probably been a little bit hard done by with some of the referee and VAR decisions that have cost them some points recently as well. Oh, they've had some shockers against him. Yeah, on numerous occasions. And to credit to him, he's handled it, I think, pretty well, considering that he knows every point matters for that club. And he's had things go against him massively on a number of occasions that, you know, not not a goal when you're 3-0 down, where it doesn't really make a difference but ones that have really decided matches and cost points. And I think he's handled it pretty well. So, yeah, he's done pretty well. And then, obviously, the other one for me is when you look where Aston Villa sitting in third place, just beating Man City, the home run that you you mentioned before, right? They've got to be in contention. Yeah, no, he's done an absolute fantastic job there to go from Steven Gerrard nearly relegating him to now stabilising him and getting him pushing on towards a top European spot. He's done fantastic. And if he'd been given maybe a little bit more time at Arsenal, would he have maybe replicated that with Arsenal too? You never know. But the one guy that I'm never going to give credit to is old Lego head at Arsenal, Mikel Arteta. He does my absolute nerves in every single week. I can't stand that fella. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, when you look at Arsenal last year, they weren't in too much of a dissimilar position, right? So is the same thing going to happen? Are they going to you know, almost kind of run out of steam at the end of the season because they do play with such intensity and they're so it just seems to be every game just seems to be so emotional, so intense. And, you know, from what a lot of people said last year who have been through those seasons and played in, in the teams that have won the Premier League, they all say you cannot be like that for the entire season. Um, but he's trying to do it again. So we'll see if they they run into the same block, if they run into the same issue. Um, or not. See if he's learned anything from last season, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be, I think, in the space of two, three weeks, a lot can definitely change in this festive period. Um, There's so many games, and this little short spell can completely turn a team season around for the positive, but then also 100% for the negative as well. But we could be looking at a completely different order of the top seven, 
and a complete different order of the bottom relegation candidates. Um, I I actually don't think I think the bottom might move a little bit just in terms of Everton just pushing up a little bit. But like you say, that top ten, I would say Chelsea in tenth position. Um, that you could just you could pick all those teams up, throw them in a hat, and pick them back out again in five weeks' time. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at the table again now on Opta, and the one team I don't think we've spoken about that I think are in a dangerous potential spot is Crystal Palace. They don't score enough goals. Yes, they, they do very well in terms of organisation, but they don't score enough goals. I think you could be seeing them struggling towards the end of the season. Maybe, but right now they're nine points off the bottom three, and nine points doesn't sound a lot, but when you're struggling to pick up any points, nine points seems like a million miles away, I think, for people like Burnley and Sheffield United. No, 100%. But I'm going to give us a little bit of credit. I think we've uh, I think we've stuck to our guns for the most part. Um, and like you, I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks of just sitting down and watching games. Yeah, we've had one stinker each, I think you could say. Me putting Chelsea in the top four and you putting United in the top four. Yeah, I think apart from that, I think we've, we've done well, to be fair. I'll, I'll give ourselves some credit. I'll give us a seven out of ten. All right. So, yeah, I think we've uh, we've hit hit some good topics there and definitely got some debates going that I think a few listeners may or may not agree with. It'll be interesting to see what listeners' opinions are of what they're top four of and uh, the relegation. I know I get a few texts, but definitely drop it in the uh, on the social channels of what your top four might be or what your bottom your bottom relegation candidates are looking like. We, we want to know. Um, but before we do go, Jack, hopefully you've had a, a little think about the question. I'll uh, I'll repeat it again for you. Uh, just in case you've you've forgotten. So there are four players who have won the Premier League Player of the Season award twice. Who are they? Yeah, I've got a couple that I think are definites. That might be wrong. Um, De Bruyne. Correct. Can you tell me what year he won it in for a bonus point? Uh, De Bruyne. I would go. What we now twenty three, twenty four. So. Not last year, the year before that, so 21-22. Correct. And then probably one of the two years prior to that. So 19-20, good knowledge. Um, who else? I'm going to go de- another definite, maybe Thierry Henry, early 2000s. Correct, 2003-2004, and then 05-06. So they were my two that I was sure of. My one that I'm pretty sure of is... Ronaldo just thinking that he had enough time just about to win it before he left for Madrid. Back to back, 06, 07, 07, 08. Okay. And then the last one is, is the last one's a tough one. I've got it in between. Um, I've got it between Mo Salah and Amanda Vidic. I know won it once. I remember seeing, I've got a picture of him with the award in his hands that I think is. Potentially him and maybe like an Alan Shearer. Oof. Big decisions here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go... I don't, I don't think it's Shearer. It's going to be either Vidic or Salah, and I'm going to go... I'm going to go Salah. Vidic was the man. It was. Oh, you know what? Now I think about it, how can Salah win it twice in the middle of all those Man City winners? Yeah. So Salah won it in the 17-18 season that they, they won it... Um... That's wild, because you think about the amount of goals, his stats are crazy. 
He's only won it once. But I think it is the fact that he's ran into that Man City team with the likes of De Bruyne. I think Ruben Diaz won it one year, right? And then obviously Haaland won it last year. So, well, here's a little bonus question for you and the listeners. There's only ever been one goalkeeper to have won it. This should be an easy one. Yeah, Smichael. Yeah. Early on, like the first couple of years, maybe two, three years. It, yeah, it was the second second season of it in the ninety fifth, ninety sixth year. So, but yeah, yeah, I didn't know if that would be an easy question or not. We'll see what the listeners got as well. I know. Uh, when we've been dropping the trivia on our on our Instagram on the reels, it's definitely been a popular choice. Um, so we appreciate people commenting, liking on that. Um, but yeah, no, Jack, looking forward to the next few weeks of the Christmas period um, back home. So should be good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Christmas period, Christmas season in terms of the football schedule. These next few weeks, we've got some really in the, uh, exciting guests coming in as well as a Christmas special. So looking forward to all of that. Yep, Christmas special is coming up soon. Um, And on that, we wish you a, a farewell.